Please stand, Psalm 96. <coughs> oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods in the lower case. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh. For he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. We ask Heavenly Father that you'd touch us with your word this evening. May we be fit to worship before the holy name of God. We pray that you'd wash our hands and our feet once again. May we Lay aside those hindrances, those detriments, those sins which keep us from the throne of God. Use us. Speak to us. Glorify yourself in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I don't usually tell you how my messages come about and how they develop. I'll do that from time to time, and I will tonight. For several weeks, I've been thinking about having a lesson, a message on Wednesday evening about worship, how to worship, about what to worship. Well, after quite a bit of prayer and some deliberation, the Lord gave me a topical outline on the ingredients of biblical worship. I came up with four points. Worship involves conviction, fascination, adoration, and oblation. I thought it was a pretty good outline. So then I started going through the scriptures to find material to uh, what, boost up each of those four points. And I finally came to this song, 96. And as I was reading through it, it occurred to me that uh, I don't have to go all over the Bible for my outline. There it is. In just a handful of verses, one right after another. 
But then on further consideration, I found that this psalm also, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> this psalm also uh, sets the stage for worship, lays the groundwork for worship. In other words, it gives me the introduction to my message on what worship should contain. But I don't like to make our lessons on Wednesday evening too long. So, tonight you get the introduction, and next week, Lord willing, you will have the actual message. There may be a third message after that. So here's my introduction. This may, in fact, be more important than the message itself. Oh, just let the Lord decide about that. In my earlier preparation, I gathered a number of scriptures which exhort us, which encourage, encourage us to worship. There are a number of them throughout the word of God. Like Psalm 29.2, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There we have an exhortation. Do it. And then there's uh, the psalm just preceding this one, Psalm 95, verse number 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. But then, coming to Psalm 96, we have the exhortation right here. We have the whole package in Psalm 96. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord, all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name, exhortation, exhortation. Show forth his salvation from today, day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. Notice the word bless. Bless his name. The word means to praise. Praise his name. But it contains the idea of humility. It also has the idea of submission. We're not equals. We're not looking the Lord in the eye and saying, you are a great God. We're way down here looking up at the Lord. We have no right to approach him. We approach him kneeling once or twice in the word of God. This word blessed is translated to kneel down. Contained in the Hebrew word is the humility that we need to have to properly worship the Lord. Once again, Psalm 95.6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. The psalmist lays no qualifications upon the first verse. He doesn't say, Hey, you guys with a good voice, you open up your throats and let it fly to the glory of the Lord. No qualifications. In fact, this exhortation is to all the earth. Sing, all the earth. Lift up your voice in harmony, if you can do that. Lift up your voice in a monotone. I was going to say monotony, but that's not quite right. In a monotone, if that's all you've got, sing unto the Lord with a lack of harmony, whatever voice you have. Where did you get your voice? You got it from the Lord. So he knows what you have to offer him. He knows whether you can hit that high note. He knows whether you can hear the tenor part. 
It doesn't matter to him. Use the voice that you've got. Sing unto the Lord with what the Lord has given to you. But sing with exuberance. Sing with sincerity. We had some visitors here on Friday night. And one of those visitors has said this to me before. So this was a repeat. But I'll share it with you, not for my sake, but for yours. He came up to me and he said, I love the way you lead the singing because you do so with excitement. You do so with enthusiasm. I think that's a big part of leading others in worship and singing. Enthusiasm. Whether or not we can hit the note doesn't matter. Whether or not we're strumming the air properly doesn't matter. Sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord. Sing a new song. Why a new song? Do we have to sit down and, and, and come up with some great poetry and uh, pass some, uh, the poetry on to Rachel to come up with some good music for us? That's not what it's about. Why a new song? Isn't it because there's always something new for us to praise the Lord? Amen. With every day, there's something new. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. That's new. Should have gone yesterday. Lord should have chopped us down yesterday. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. I think I know what next week's Sunday school lesson is going to be about. We're going to finish up a look at the, the love of God, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that God's great mercy and love are experienced by all the earth. Yes. Not just the children of God. All of the earth is blessed by the Lord's grace in a positive fashion and mercy that he hasn't cleansed this earth of all its wretched creatures. God showers his blessings on us all and the psalmist says all the earth should honor the Lord, praise the Lord, mm. sing unto the Lord. They've all, we all have been blessed. But those who have been redeemed have infinitely more reason to worship the Lord. Yes. Yes. We should show forth his salvation from day to day, constantly declaring his glory among the heathen. Way back when we were saved, January of 2007 or back in 65 or whenever it was, back in that day when we were saved, the Lord didn't just declare us righteous and then wind us up and set us off on our own. He applies his salvation every single day because we are wretched creatures. And if he was not there to intercede on our behalf, if he was not there to plead his blood, 
the, the law would take its toll, would chop us down, show forth his salvation from day to day, constantly declaring the glory of God among the heathen. Not only must the Christian vocally and publicly worship the Lord for his salvation, but there are other aspects of the work of the Lord that needs to be uplifted, magnified, and some aspects are particularly important in this day in which we live, such as creation. Don't be afraid to say, I believe in a six-day literal creation because the Bible says so. Don't be afraid to say, God created everything out of nothing. Verse 5, for all the gods of the heathen are idols. The Lord, Jehovah, made the heavens. If you need a new dose of awe, step outside and look toward the galaxies. Get out of town so you don't have that residue of light around you. And look up. Look at an aurora. How many have seen an aurora? Four, five, you poor people. Oh, the rest of you. Oh, it's amazing. You've tried. Good for you. You've tried. When we consider the heavens, I think I've read that somewhere in the Bible. It, it's so humbling. Yeah. It's just so massive. Yeah. And it's nothing to the Lord. It's nothing to the Lord. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens and the earth, by the way. We had the news on while we were eating supper this evening. And uh, the silly newscasters had a picture of a sunset. This came from uh, Wash Dot or something. And I said to Judy, that's a horrible picture. I get pictures from Canada every day. I get, pic I get pictures from North Idaho every day that make that picture look like nothing at all. What a glorious place to live. Amen. The Lord has made such beauty. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar. Let the field be joyful. Let the trees and the forest rejoice. Verse 3 exhorts us to declare his glory among the heathen. His wonders among all people. Notice the word wonders. That same Hebrew word is used by the Lord when speaking to Abraham in Genesis 18, 14. There, God said, is it too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee, Abram, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Is it too hard for the Lord? That is the same word which is translated wonder. What are the wonders we are to declare among the people? The things which are too hard for anybody else but Jehovah. Miracles. Salvation. 
creation. These are some of the things or some of the reasons the Lord deserves our worship. These are knees upon which to worship the Lord. But our praise must not be confined to what the Lord has done. We need to worship the Lord for who He is. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all those supposed gods. Jehovah is great. Sometimes that Hebrew word is translated the greatest. Mm. He is the greatest. He is superior. He is superlative. He is superb. He is supernatural above nature. Superseding all things. He is to be feared. He is to be reverenced. To be worshipped above all the pretended gods of this world. He puts Chemosh and Moloch and Baal and the gods of the Babylonians. He puts them all to shame. In fact, the Romans and the Greeks and the Hindus with their thousands of worthless deities, they should be ashamed to call any one of their deities God. Ashamed. How is it even possible for the Philistines to worship Dagon after they picked him up off the floor because God mysteriously knocked him down. How could they worship Dagon and think that Dagon would bless them after they glued his hands back on when they broke off? Come on now. Wake up. When it comes to Jehovah, Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Have you ever heard it said, so-and-so lights up the room when he comes in or she comes into a room? When I leave it. That happens too. And the further opposite, is that one opposite? Another opposite takes place. I have seen it many, many times that uh, the spirit of a, a group dissolves when another person comes in. I've seen that many times. Similarly, but superlatively, honor, majesty, strength, and beauty are always in the room when the Lord is there. But there's more, much more. The psalmist could have added, holiness is in every room where the Lord is. And love. And justice. These are all in the Lord's sanctuary. In Isaiah's visit to the divine throne room, echoing between the walls of that place, if you want to picture it that way, was holy, holy, holy. And why? Because God is holy. And there's nothing in his presence which is not holy as well, because God makes it so, or it's not there. 
Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty, holiness and love are in his sanctuary. I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to make an exception. I was asked to critique a little book the other day. The author died in uh, 2009 after publishing well over a hundred books, hundred different titles. The back cover of this little book was filled with praises for that author, probably written by himself. It says, Robert B. Theme is a significant voice in Christianity throughout the world. He has recorded 11,000 hours of lectures. I'm condensing this. His extensive training in Greek and Hebrew and theology and history and textual criticism provide the foundation for his ministry, which resulted in 53-year tenure at to some interdenominational church in Houston, Texas. The book was, with the emphasis on was, the book was titled The Integrity of God. And by that, Mr. Theme meant the synchronized operation of God's righteousness and justice. I don't really have a problem with that, but it's big language. I had already run into a couple of uh, dubious statements, but with some hesitation, I read on. And then on page six, this is to quote him, perhaps you're wondering why you have never heard of the integrity of God. The authorized King James Version of the Bible calls the combination of righteousness and justice the holiness of God. But the word holiness fails to communicate. It is an anachronicist, antiquated, about as useful as a Model T. I'll tell you what Isaiah 6.3 and it's holy, holy, holy means to most believers. Not a thing. Today, if the word holy, holy, excuse me, today, if the word holy is not ambiguous, it is vague. If not vague, evanescent, which means it's disappearing. We need not tie ourselves to an obscure, emotion-tinged word, especially when an excellent, meaningful, modern term is available. Integrity, 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 that's what communicates. I was at the gym on a treadmill. I continued to read to tw page 25 simply because I had nothing else to do. And then I came home and threw the book away, pulled it out so I could quote it for you this evening. This fella is one, is one of those who says we're saved by the death of Christ but not by the blood of Christ. Methinks he has way too much education. Dallas theological education. Anyway. In contrast to R.B. Theme, I don't believe the Lord would be upset with me for adding, in verse number 6, honor and majesty are before him. Strength, beauty, and absolute holiness are in his sanctuary. Yes. 
Verses nine, 7 to 9 will make up my text for next week, so I'm not going to deal with that, but I will read them for you once again. I see in them conviction, fascination, adoration, and oblation. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. A worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. In all the rest of this psalm, we have some exhortations and instructions to God's worshipers. For you who love the Lord and know him to be the King of kings and Lord of lords, it is time for you to be evangelists. Say among the heathen, the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Tell the heathen that Jehovah is God and that he very soon shall judge them in absolute righteousness. One of these days the Lord's plan for creation will be complete. Whether you wish to talk about the millennium, that thousand year reign of Christ, or skipping over that, going into the new heaven and the new earth, every aspect of that new creation will worship the Lord. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful. And all that is therein, let all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. The Lord is coming. That's not a New Testament doctrine. That is a full, plenary, biblical doctrine. Cover to cover. And he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Tell them that. You who worship the Lord, tell the heathen. Yes. The Lord talks about this in Psalm 2. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. On whom will this judgment fall at the coming of the Son of God? On them that know not God. Isn't this the, the purpose of our current Sunday school series? How can we draw nigh unto God if we don't know who He is? How can we worship the Lord if we don't know who He is? Those who do know Him will worship Him. And they need very little encouragement to bless his holy name. Just a reminder now and then. They that know him know that the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And to those who know God by faith through the Lord Jesus, Christ will come for them. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel. 
what comfort there is in those words. I've given our little lesson this evening the title, Knees Upon Which to Worship the Lord. Next Wednesday, we'll consider some of the aspects of proper worship, what it is to worship the Lord. But throughout this psalm, we have reasons to worship. We have reasons to praise, reasons to bless his name. These are the knees upon which we take our, our worship to his throne.